So today, as we continue in our series, uh, The Art of Neighboring, we're doing this with, kind of in partnership with a number of different churches across the city. And uh, today we want to look at freedom. Freedom. It's, freedom's kind of a word that we sometimes pass around. Uh, we check out, we, we, we use kind of loosely here sometimes in the U.S. And sometimes we take it for granted. Most of us have never had to pay the price for freedom. Many of us haven't had to serve in our, our military. We may have had uh, family members. We may have had uh, friends who ha- have gone and have served our country in this way. And mo- many, much, m- almost all of us are glad to live in the reality of the freedom that's been bought for us, that's been purchased for us. And our country has many more freedoms than many, have, have more freedoms than many countries across the globe. But in our city, in our communities, even sometimes in our own families, we have those who live in their own cycle of slavery, don't they? We, we have those who, who are near and dear to us who, who, who live in their own personal prisons. And sometimes it's easy to ignore. It's easy to, to hide behind the crisis that is around us. In 2018, Washington County saw the second uh, highest uh, uh, increase of opioid deaths in the state. And while we rank 10th in the, in the state, uh, according to uh, population, we rank 6th among opioid-related deaths last year. And sometimes it's easy to say it's someone else's problem. Sometimes the problem is over there until it hits close to home. And it's not just a, a problem in our country. It's not just a problem in our city. It's not just a problem in our county. It's not just a problem in our communities. It's a, it, the, the, the effects likely land far closer to us than we would care to admit. It's not that we have, it's not that we all have a, a collective drug problem. We tend to have a collective me problem. We look at our world and we look at our surroundings and we look at the things that are around us and, and sometimes the things surround us are so overwhelming that we fail to notice the problems that are around us. And so while we live in freedom, each day, each day we choose our own chains, whether it's drugs or alcohol, greed, workaholism, infidelity, abuse, legalism, pride. We all have chains. We're all shackled to something. And these chains, these these shackles, they keep us from experiencing the freedom that God made for us to enjoy. And so too often we, too often those who are who are unbelievers, those who are who are, are far from the church, they look at all, they look at the Bible, and the first thing they think of is it's a book of rules, it's a book of laws. It's, there's all those thou shalt nots, and they, they 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 take the entirety of the story of God and they make it all about a list of rules. But what if, what if all those rules, instead of being something that that shackles us and and and, and limits us and and, and, and shrinks our world. What if, what if really all those laws, all those rules, all those things that God laid out for us to, to live by, what if they really were really big and wide boundaries in between which we get to experience God's freedom? It's not that these rules constrict and limit us. They're, the rules really are a set of boundaries within which we can experience God's freedom within which we get to experience God's life and his love for us. So what if we were truly, what if we were to truly live free? 
And see, today we're going to look at a man who was set free by Jesus. He had been shackled. He had been chained. But because of his experience with Jesus, all of a sudden his world changed forever. And how did he live differently because of that experience? If you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. And Mark 5, you know, Jesus has just come out of this day. He has been teaching all day in the city, in the town of Capernaum. Uh, one of probably Jesus' home base uh, in the area of Galilee. And so he's been teaching all day. And at the end of the day, he and the disciples went to get away for a little bit. And so they get in a boat and they cross over the Sea of Galilee. As they get into the boat, as they begin to make their way across the, the, the sea, a violent storm comes up. And the, the, the storm wasn't uncommon. Uh, the, the Sea of Galilee sits in a basin. And so weather systems would come across the Mediterranean, would, would come across the land, and as it sits in this basin, the, the storms would begin to go up the hills and the bluffs on the west side of the Sea of Galilee and would create these violent storms, and the, the sea would, would get really rough, and the wind would blow, and the rains would fall, and, and it would be a, a very violent, very uh, uh, a dangerous situation. At least four of Jesus' disciples, we know, were fishermen on this, sea, on this very lake, in this very body of water. They may have had friends who died because of storms like this. And so these guys are, are rowing. They're, they're, they're trying to get the boat across, and they start freaking out. And so they, they rush to the back of the boat because Jesus is back there taking a nap. I mean, because that's what I do, right? You, when you're in, there's a big thunderstorm, and you're in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a lake. What are you doing? Sleep in the back of the boat, right? And so there's Jesus. He's sleeping in the back of the boat. And the disciples go, Jesus, Jesus, we're going to die. The boat's going to flip over. And they wake Jesus up, and they, they disturb him from his, his nap. And he wakes up, and he calms the storm. He calms the wind, calms the waters. The disciples are in awe, and they make their way across the rest of the way. They land on the other side. Where they land on the other side is this area that, that has a very kind of narrow beach with some bluffs, with some cliffs on the other side, on, on the side of it. And then these cliffs, these bluffs, they were filled with caves. And in those caves, the people would often use those as tombs. You know, they, they, they didn't really, they didn't, uh, you know, bury people in, in the ground. They would put them in a tomb. They put a big rock over the tomb and they would put them there kind of outside the city in, in, in kind of a way because they would smell bad. They would stink. Just read John 11 with, with Lazarus and they, hey, let's not roll that back. He stinks. And, and oftentimes, also not only would, would uh, they, they use these as tombs, but the poor in the area would use them as homes. So Jesus arrives, probably somewhere between 9, 9 p.m. and midnight. It's dark. And as he arrives, this is what Mark writes for us. So they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus gets out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he, broke, he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you, will, you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demon begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. 
and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Sitting there, dressed in his right mind, they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened, and the de- that the, uh, what happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Jesus and the disciples, they get in this boat and they go across the Sea of Galilee and as they pull up to shore, they are met by the welcome party, the welcome committee. Or should I say the unwelcome committee? Because did you hear how he was described? I mean, he, he is, he's naked, he's chained, he is this wild man. In fact, we, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the same story. Matthew tells us that there are two demon-possessed men. Mark and Luke focus on just the one. Probably the one maybe who's more prominent, the one who's doing most of the speaking. But you have both these guys showing up. They are crazy. They are naked. They are chained. And they're just wild and untamed. I mean, these are some scary dudes, especially coming at you in the middle of the night. I mean, it's dark. They don't have street lights. They don't have have lights on 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 the waterfront. And as Jesus and his disciples roll up, all of a sudden, these guys are just freaking out. They're just wild and crazy, scary guys. And what we see is a classic description of demon possession. First of all, these guys are naked. They're, they have little to no uh, personal dignity to, these, to, to them. They, 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 they're uh, uncontrolled. They're, they're untamed. They, they are socially isolated. We, we see them. It says that they're, they're living among the tombs. They are, they are making their way down. They, 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 they retreat to these simple shelters in the caves. What's also interesting about demons is that they recognize exactly who Jesus is. They, they see Jesus, and they begin to call out. And so the demons take control of the man's voice, and they, they, this man shares stuff that he could not personally know himself. Jesus has never been in this area. But it's interesting that even though men don't recognize Jesus as a son of God, demons do. They know exactly who Jesus is. And they, 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 destroy, they display extraordinary strength. I mean, these guys have been chained over and over again, hand and feet. And I imagine that the, maybe the, the collars of the chains may have still been on their wrist. The chains have been broken. They had not been held down. They were running free. They had displayed extraordinary strength. And they come running to Jesus, and they fall down in front of him. And as they come and they run down, and they fall down in front of him, they shout out, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. You see, they know, they know that God, that, that Jesus is God's son. They know that he has all power, that he has all authority even over them. And so maybe what they were trying to do is, is in first century exorcism, they would, uh, whoever kind of brought the, the biggest 
baddest name of resumes, the, 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 the biggest collection of names, they were the ones who would tend to have control and would win this spiritual fight. And so maybe if they, he's like, if I, if, I get, if I mention Jesus' name first, maybe I'll get a leg up and maybe I'll be able to win this. But Jesus simply commands the demons to, to come out and they know that the battle, that they're, they're going to lose. It's just a matter of time, but they don't give up without a fight. And so they're not going to back down easily. And so Jesus asks the demon their name. So what is your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And we kind of see that the, this is not the first demon-possessed man that Jesus encounters. As you read through the Gospels, you see that, that, that each, you know, each experience, each, each uh, opportunity is a little bit different. You have one who's stricken the, 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 its person, its, its host, mute and deaf. One strikes their, their person. They, they, they go into seizures and they, they try to throw themselves, they th- throw the, the host into to water, into flame, trying to kill, trying to, trying to hurt the person. And what we see is that we are all shackled by something, but not everyone's shackles are the same. We're not all held captive by the same thing. In fact, some people have more things that, that are enslaving them, while some people may have a few. But one thing that we learn is that sometimes by putting a name on it, we be, can begin to gain power over it. Jesus is like, what's your name? My name is, our name is Legion, for we are many. Jesus puts a name on it. And sometimes we need to put a name to our problem. Sometimes when we leave it in the shadows, it can begin to overpower us and, and we don't we can't quite get mastery over it through the power of Jesus. But when we begin to put a name to it, when we begin to, to bring it out into the open, bring it out into the light, all of a sudden we can give, begin to give power of that over to Jesus. We begin to be set free. Jesus says, what's your name? Our name is Legion, for we are many. Demon tries to take power from Jesus, but it fails, and Jesus calls on the demon to flee, and he flees. And in this dramatic turn of event, the demons go from being in control of this man to begging Jesus not to torture them, to not send them out of the area. And Luke says, don't send us into the abyss. Don't, don't, don't destroy us. Don't, don't, don't send us to, to demon death. Yeah, don't, don't send us out of the area. Don't send us away. So Jesus responds, he says, Sends, he, he t- commands him to come out of the man. The demons begin to look around. They see, uh, they, they know that the battle is lost. And so they begin to make an escape plan. They see these pigs up on the hillside. And they say, Jesus, Jesus, will you let us go into those pigs? And Jesus gives them permission. And the pigs rush down the hillside. They rush off the cliff. They go into the water and, and they all drown. They all, they are, they, they destroy the pigs. They destroy their hosts. And that's what we, we, we see. We see one thing is always true, that demons are naturally destructive. Demons are always naturally destructive. And so the, the pigs go rushing down this hillside. They go into the water. They drown. And this doesn't make the owners of the pigs too happy. You see, these demons have destroyed their herd. Their flock, whatever you call a group of pigs together, they, their livelihood has just gone uh, pork belly side up, right? I mean, things are not going well for them because demons naturally destroy whatever they get their hands on. 
And I wonder, I wonder if some of what we call mental illness today isn't really some form of demon possession. See, in a culture, as cultures attempt to relegate faith and religion to the margins of society, has Satan maybe not possibly found his way in through the back door? And that some of these seeming random acts of violence, people's perpetual cycles of self-destruction, could possibly be some form of demon possession, not just mental illness. And I don't want to make light of mental illness or say that all mental health issues are, are of a spiritual nature or a spiritual matter. But I believe we make, we make far too little of it to only entrust mental health to the realm of science. And maybe Satan has found his way in the back door as we've pushed religion and faith to the side and made it simply about science and internal wiring. These, these men were possessed by uh, a legion of demons. A legion was a, was a detachment of the Roman army of about 6,000 men. So they had like 6,000 demons inside these guys, and, and, and they were just destroying their life inside and out. And Jesus shows up, and he casts them out, and they go into the pigs, and the pigs rush down the hill, and they die. And the pig owners are naturally upset, right? They lost their livelihood. They lost everything that they had. And they want to put the blame on somebody. And some people might say, well, isn't Jesus guilty of destroying personal property, right? These were not his pigs. They were someone else's pigs. And and these pigs he cast the demons into, and the demons rush off the cliff, and they die. It's Jesus' fault, right? But see, Jesus didn't didn't cause... well, he permitted it. He didn't cause it, right? He didn't tell them to go into the pigs. They offered, can we go into the pigs? Jesus permitted it. He didn't cause it. So we're not to blame God for Satan's work. See, Jesus considered in this moment the soul of these two men far more infinitely valuable than 2,000 pigs. So the townspeople start to gather. And and they they find this formerly demon-possessed man sitting dressed and in his right mind. So you can imagine these guys. I mean, they were the crazy eccentric. They were running around you know, naked, cutting themselves. These were crazy dudes. And all of a sudden, they show up on the beachfront on this night, and all of a sudden, they're sitting there dressed. You know, their hair combed. They look clean. They look sharp. They look, they look like they're supposed to. And weren't you just naked, crazy guy? And now you, now you look like this? Now you look like this. And they, the people are frightened. This previously uncontrollable man, these, this previously uncontrollable, they, they, they are peaceful, they are calm, and they're sitting at Jesus' feet. They knew the power of the demoniac. They had tried to chain them. And they probably saw them break the chains and cast them off. They could not contain them with chains, but Jesus, Jesus can now he wasn't contained them, but he made them calm and, and in the right mind. And they could not begin to comprehend his power. They saw the pigs die. They saw the power that he, he, he showed. And they needed a scapegoat. And there stood Jesus. There stood Jesus. And they had two options. They had two options. They could either submit to his, his power or expel him out of fear. 
They could either submit to his power or expel him out of fear. And there they were. And it was far easier for them to say goodbye to Jesus than to begin to try to figure out what just happened. It was far easier to to send Jesus away, to ask him to leave, than to figure out what just happened. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had been asked to leave. Remember, the miraculous catch of fish, uh, Jesus goes out in Peter's boat, and, and Peter hasn't caught anything all night, but Jesus says, hey, why don't you cast the nets out for a, uh, for a catch? And Peter's like, not going to catch anything, but whatever you say, Lord. And he throws it out, and what happens? And that fills up, and he thinks the boat's going to flip over and sink because of the weight of the fish, and they get the fish in, and, and we, we almost see this picture of, Jesus, of, of Peter falling on his knees in front of Jesus with all these fish around him. And he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. See, Peter asked Jesus to leave because he saw Jesus' holiness in light of his sinfulness. These people on this night saw Jesus' power, and they were afraid. They saw the the power of the Almighty, and they were frightened. And so to protect themselves, they asked Jesus to leave. And because of their unbelief, Jesus leaves because Jesus never forces himself on anyone. But as Jesus prepares to leave, as he's getting into the boat, the the man who is demon-possessed begs him to go with him. He says, take me with you. Because you know what they're going to be, all the people in the town are going to be talking about, right? They're not going to say, oh, look how good you look. They're going to be saying, you know who he is, right? He's that guy. That one. And they would never probably look at him the same way. He's, I know he looks all good right now, but he used to be that dude. He knows the stigma that's going to follow him, and he says, Jesus, Jesus, let me go with you. But Jesus says no. Not because he wasn't sincere, not because it wouldn't have been good for him to go, but Jesus had something greater for him to do. What did he tell him? He says, go home. Go to your people. Go to your family. Go to your tribe. Go to your group. Go to them. And share with them what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So Jesus freed him, not to go along with him, but to do something greater, to do something bigger, to just tell others about the mercy that was given to him, the the freedom that he was experiencing. Because see, freedom received, freedom received is freedom given. Freedom received is freedom given. The freedom we receive is given by someone. And we call it freedom, but, it, but it's never free. See, our freedom as a country was purchased by the blood and protected by the blood of brave patriots and soldiers who have fought to defend our rights. Our spiritual freedom was purchased by the blood of G- Jesus crucified on the cross that we might have freedom from sin. Freedom always comes at a cost. And so in our own personal experience, our personal exercise of freedom, what it often is is not us living free, but us doing what we want in spite of what might be best for us. That our fight, our personal freedom, uh, that our fight for personal freedom might not actually lead us to freedom, but actually to, to literal, literal chains, literal bondage, figurative chains that, that bind our life. See, Jesus did what no amount of self-control, no amount of treatment, no amount of support could ever do. It took sin. It took death. 
took our shame on his shoulders. He died in our place and broke our chains of sin so that we could be set free. So we could be free from eternal death and be made right with God. More than that, he died so that we could have the Holy Spirit in our life. The very presence of God in our lives to empower us to choose what is right and what is best. I wish there was a quick fix. Just a simple wave of the hand, simple potion, simple set of words we could say that would just heal us all. We take the complexities of our sin and our addictions and, and, and get rid of it and help us to truly live free, but there are no simple fixes. There's no quick fixes in life. Well, accepting, accepting Jesus and coming to him for grace and forgiveness, it's not the only step, but it is the first step. That our sinful desires, first of all, reveal a sinful, a, reveal a spiritual problem in our life. They reveal corrupt spiritual roots that often will produce corrupt spiritual fruit. See, the physical, the outside always reveals what's inside. The physical always reveals the spiritual. And what is seen on the outside is often birthed from something much deeper within. That we must first treat what is spiritual at the core of our being if we want to experience healing of our physical, emotional, and mental brokenness. See, there's this time when the Jewish religious leaders, they were arguing with Jesus about about, about, uh, where he came from and about the relationship with Abraham and about who they were as a people. And and they said, as Abraham's descendants, we've never been slaves to anyone. They didn't know their history very well. The whole book of Exodus was talking about how they were slaves. And, but Jesus comes out and he says, hey, the slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs forever. So if the son has set you free, then you will be free indeed. If the son has set you free, then you will be free indeed. Freedom received is freedom given. Through faith in Jesus, God grants freedom to all of us from sin. But see, our freedom, when we try to exercise our freedom, it always leads us to death. But when we experience God's freedom, it always leads us to more life. When we try to live out freedom in our own way, on our own terms, in our own exercise of freedom, it always leads to death. But when we live life, when we live in the freedom of God, it always leads to greater life. So when we're set free by God through faith, like the man who lived among the tombs, See, we all live in this bondage. We all live in bondage or slavery to something. Sin is still evident in our life, even as we've come to faith in Christ. Do we choose to pick up those chains? Do we choose to live in the freedom that God has offered us? See, true freedom is not about self-determination. On our own, we can never make ourselves free. See, sin enslaves us to destruction. So our true freedom is not about us becoming who we are. It's about becoming who we are in Christ. See, Jesus came to set us free from the slavery of sin. It's penalty of death. It's judgment. It's eternal separation from God. See, freedom from God requires a, a, a transformation of nature. See, a caterpillar if a caterpillar wants to fly, it has to become something altogether different. It has to be changed. It has to be transformed into something new. 
And if we're to live in the freedom of God, if we're to live in freedom with Jesus, we have to become something altogether different. And when God puts his spirit in us, it's not just for the warm feelings, but to begin to make a transformation in us, to make us like him, to make us new. Because see, without his spirit in us, we just trade one addiction, one desire for another. But what we need is the expulsive power of a new affection, one that is so beautiful, one that is so powerful that it captures our hearts and minds. Do we pursue God? Do we pursue Jesus with such fervor? God's freedom brings to us new life. Because when we do, then our freedom brings freedom. Our freedom brings freedom to others. When we are set free by Jesus, the Spirit helps us to live free. Look at the demon-possessed guy. Remember, they came, they were wild, they were naked, they were crazy, they were scary guys. But what they wanted was freedom. Maybe even by any means necessary. The freedom they received from Jesus changed their very nature. Changed the course of their life. It It ought to change how we live. It ought to change how we relate to our past. How we relate to our fears. How we relate to our demons in us. Because if the Son has set us free, then we are free indeed. Since we are no longer slaves to sin, we ought to be able to live in true freedom. Times people come out. They find the the demon-possessed guys that they're sitting, they're dressed, they're clothed, they're in their right mind, they are participating appropriately in the group. They've been set free from their past. Paul writes to the church in Galatians, they were were battling their past as well. They're battling their history. Do do we follow after the law? Do we we still follow in this, or, or do we walk in this freedom? And Paul writes, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We're not to bind ourselves to the law. We're not to bind ourselves to our past. We were to to be set free by the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. That we can live and walk in his freedom. And when we have been set free, we can help set others free. We share a responsibility. We have a responsibility to share our freedom with others. So when we give our freedom away, it doesn't give us less freedoms. See, as we spread freedom, we help others walk in the freedom and invite them into relationship with Jesus to experience the freedom that he has purchased for them. And we see this demon-possessed man go, and he begins to mount a crusade. Not a political crusade, not an activist crusade, but a personal, spiritual crusade. And he goes and he wants to go with Jesus. He says, Jesus, wouldn't this be awesome if, if I traveled with you and I could be like the opening act and, and all these people be like, you were that guy? I, we heard stories about you and you could tell, I could tell my story about my past and, and I could get them all warmed up. I could be like your hype man and then you could come behind and close the deal. Wouldn't that be awesome? Can I just go with you? And Jesus says no. Sometimes Jesus says no. And he sends this guy out as one of the first biblical missionaries. He wanted to go to travel with Jesus, but Jesus had something greater in mind for him. He says, he says go home. Show others 
what God has done for you. Share with them the love and the power that, G, that, that I've given to you. Literally, go to your people and tell them what God has done for you. Go and be a demonstration of the freedom that's been given to you by Jesus. See what our world needs now? It's to live in freedom. We live in a world that's trapped in bondage. Too many think the answer is in another pill, another drink, another dollar, another treatment. But the answer then and the answer now and the answer always will be Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if we all lived like this? We lived in the freedom that Jesus offered us. See, this is the first time that Jesus comes to this area. And the first time he comes, he is met by the unwelcoming part. Two crazy, naked, demon-possessed guys. This is not the last time that Jesus comes back to this area. So Jesus comes, he heals the guys, he sends them home to tell their people about how God has had love and mercy on them. Jesus is going to travel around for a few more years. He's going to make his way back, and when he comes back, he won't be met by two naked guys on the beach. In fact, he's going to be met by a whole group of people. About 4,000 men, plus women and children. And he'll teach them that day. And he'll teach them long into the evening. And it'll get dark, and it'll get late, and they'll need food. Jesus will feed somewhere probably between twelve and 16,000 people. How do these twelve to 16,000 people know about Jesus and want to come and see Jesus? Because two men who had their lives radically changed, who had their lives set free, went home and told everyone about what God had done for them and how God had mercy on them. And I'm not a mathematician. As I look around, I think there's more than two of us here. And if two people can turn two into somewhere between four and 16,000, what could we do among ourselves? If we truly lived in the freedom that Jesus bought us, and if we truly told others and engaged others and helped th- invite them into a journey that would lead them to the freedom that Jesus offers, what would it be like? How did they know? How did all those people know about Jesus? Because of the testimony of a transformed life. The power of someone who lived in the freedom that Jesus offers. So today, today we have the opportunity. Today we have the option. Today we have the responsibility to live in that freedom. And to share that freedom with others. We can set them free from their chains. They can walk in the life and love of their Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have set us free. That by your grace, you've set us free from sin. That by your love, you have paid the price that our sin required. Father, most of all, that you've you've set us free from sin and, and death given us hope and life. Father, I pray that you will help us to take that freedom and share it with others.
that they may see you, they may hear you, that they may have an encounter with you, that they may experience you, that they, they too can cast aside their shackles, cast aside their shame, put aside the punishment for our sin, begin to walk in the love and freedom that you have given us through Jesus. May that reality, that's reality in our life, may become a reality in others' lives as well. As you use us to connect other people to Jesus. Father, we thank you that you have set us free. And if the Son has set us free, then we can truly live free. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. The hope that we have in him. May we walk in that hope. May we lead others to know you as well. Jesus, I pray.